You were born a hunter-gatherer. You were born a social animal, one that moves within the land and moves between bands in a world that was meant to be less measured, less exact. We were meant for lives with more meaning and less consequence, a life where connection and meaning are implicit, where animals have voices and trees have stories, a world where rivers flow unabated and water isn't a health hazard, a world without fences, a world without flags, a world without rulers and gods. It's our world, the world of primal anarchy. We are here to say that either the world burns or the cities do. We're here to say that abusers convince you that you have no choice. We're here to say that marketers convince you that you have their options. We're here to say that you are wild, that you can be free. We're here to say that there's a match in one end and bull cutters in the other. And we aren't here to say that the world is waiting. We are here to say that the world is fighting. We are here to say that their story only ends one way. And we're here to tell you that there are others. Primal Anarchy Podcast is a collection of rants, tirades, condemnations, readings, musings, explorations, response, interviews, and iterations hosted by Primal Anarchist writers Kevin and Natasha Tucker. Find us online at primalanarchy.org, all major podcast platforms, and the Channel Zero Anarchist Podcast Network. Welcome to the Primal Anarchy Podcast. This is episode number 25, May 16th, 2020. We are your hosts, Kevin Tucker. And Natasha Tucker. And this is the podcast. Uh, we'd like to recognize that we are on occupied Susquehannock and Lenape lands. Uh, all past episodes of the podcast, if this is your first time listening, are at primalanarchy.org. And you can also find them on all the podcast platforms, as well as Channel Zero, America's Podcast Network. We do love Channel Zero. We do love Channel Zero. Way to go. Mm-hmm. Way to go, team. Mm-hmm. So, uh as always, we're going to get through a bit of the house cleaning stuff here real quick. But this episode, we wanted to do something that is probably overdue. It's a good thing to do at episode number 25. Although the podcast did start out as black and green podcast. Hmm. And then became Primal Anarchy podcast. But um, what is Primal Anarchy? That's what we're going to focus on in this episode. We're going back to basics today. We're going back to basics. This mm-hmm. is brass tacks. Totally. <laughs> Day zero. <laughs> Whatever. The <laughs> Ground zero. Ground zero. Patient zero. Patient zero. <laughs> all, <laughs> all relevant things. <laughs> all right. So uh, just to mention again, uh, I mentioned in the last episode, it's on the social media as well. Indigenous Mutual Aid is a really awesome project right now that is doing a lot of on-the-ground mutual aid work uh, for indigenous communities. Um, like the Navajo uh, Nation has like the highest rates of coronavirus and mm-hmm. the highest like rates of uh, like the death tolls and everything. It's all of colonialism is just steamrolling into this as it is everything else that happens. Mm-hmm. These are ongoing events. Fifteen percent of sales through Black and Green Press dot org. Uh, now through whenever. Um, yeah, we don't gonna, have an end date. We're not putting an end date on it. We don't just as long as we can. Um, and, as long as it's needed, mm-hmm. as much as we can do, fifteen percent of all things from BlackAndGreenPress.org will go to Indigenous Mutual Aid. But you should check out IndigenousMutualAid.org as well and donate where you can. And thank you to everybody who's purchased through Black and Green uh, that has contributed to that fund through that. Yes, that's been a good um, turnout, let's say. And thank you for supporting Black and Green and the work that we do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
Yes. Uh, so uh, let's let's do jump book club. So last week we mentioned, or I'm sorry, last episode we mentioned the book club, mm-hmm. and we've gotten some really awesome responses to it. We're Absolutely, gonna... we've gotten some really good response to it. People seem excited, and as are we. We're very uh, excited. To mention again, the book for this month is Terra Nullis, Nullius, by Sven Linquist. Uh, it's a really great book. It's like it's it's hard to surmise he's such a great writer it's like covering a lot it's talking about australia it's talking about conquest it's talking about legacies of colonialism and the way that colonialism is rolled out from first contact through uh uranium mining on indigenous lands mm-hmm. now it's a really fucking good book uh if you have not read it i strongly recommend it it's a pretty quick read compared to some of the other stuff i think we're going to be getting into mm-hmm. uh but you can get it it can be a little bit harder to find the book Terra Nullius right now, but it's a little bit easier to find the Dead Do Not Die, which has Terra Nullius and Exterminate All the Brutes, which are both of Sven Linguist's books that I recommend very often. Uh, and both those are really good. That book's a little bit easier to find, and also there's an ebook of it. So if you're on that's lockdown, great. If you can't get to a library, that's what we're doing. So, uh, we're talking about doing the book club meetings on Zoom, and the first one is May 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yes, and if that turns out to be difficult for people to make, we'll add a second time to talk about it, or even a third if we need to. I mean, we can talk about it as much as we want. So, if you'd like to participate and you can't make it to that date, to the Zoom call on that date, please let us know, and then we'll plan accordingly. And you can go to uh, blackandgreenpress.org backslash book dash club or just go on Black and Green Press and click the book club tab uh, or email us at the end one word at blackandgreenpress.org that's the end one word blackandgreenpress.org to get on the uh, book club list and for more information about it. We're really excited because book clubs are super cool for book lovers, but also it seems really important to find creative ways of interacting and talking to one another, Um, especially now that our social uh, interactions have really changed shape recently. So I think it'll be a really positive idea. Yeah, we're very excited about it. And uh, a global pandemic, I guess, is a pretty good time to find other avenues. Yes, definitely. And speaking of my... uh, my lung health has gone up and down drastically uh, since December, uh, and my cough is choosing now to make a return. So I'm doing my best not to cough into the microphone, but uh, at this point, Bear with going us. forward, mm-hmm. it could be a recurring problem. We'll do our best not to make it hard. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and if you want to participate in the book club and you are just hearing about it or you haven't uh, reached out to us yet, go ahead and send us an email with book club in the subject heading. And we'll add you to the email list for it. There we go. Uh, And then uh, just want to plug again, I had an interview with Soulcast that came out a week ago or so. Uh, It was a a pretty solid interview. I liked it. Um, People seem to be digging it. Mm -hmm. And so you can go check that out. And uh, I've done a number of interviews recently, and I think there's one coming out any day now uh, with Night of the Livid Punks, which is a new podcast. Uh, that's really cool. It's done by a friend of the show, Damien. Um, 
and the last episode with was was with the singer of Spitboy, uh, Adrian. Uh, I think Adrian's still now, uh, which was awesome. But this one gets a little bit more into Peregrine stuff. Uh, my my death metal band, uh-huh. anti-fascist, anti-civ, anarchist death metal band, uh-huh. and um, some of the music side of things. Just my my background as well with uh, punk and hardcore. But we talk a good bit about uh, the punk and hardcore scenes and um, the anarchist world, you know, FELF kind of stuff that was going on in the 90s and 2000s and activist stuff and how it related to music. So it's a bit of a different thing than what I normally get into, but I, I really like it and um, I'm looking forward to that episode coming out. You should look for it coming to podcast. Well, there's no good way to say podcast platforms. It's well, annoying. Yeah, there really aren't. But I was just thinking that the that people who are followers of your writing uh, and enjoy your writing might not necessarily know about Peregrine or the music side of things. So it's kind of exciting to blend those two things together. Yeah, I've separated them for uh, no real reason. <laughs> for quite some time. I do like the idea of bringing them sort of to more together uh, because I think music is a, obviously a different way of reaching people. And it is really an emotional way of reaching people, so I'm really proud of you for putting it out there. Well, thank you. And I'm also proud of the music we've done. And it's increasingly going to be available. It's going to be on, like, uh, Spotify and all, all that stuff as well. But, you know, it's out there. And, in fact, uh, we were just listed on, for May Day, uh, journalist Kim Kelly put us on uh, the, uh, the, the debut CD, Agrarian Curse, on the list of top ten Nazi punching metal albums, mm. which was a real honor. It's a very esteemed list to be a part of. It's an esteemed list. Uh-huh. It's a great soundtrack for jogging and punching Nazis. Mm-hmm. And you know what? There's a fuck ton of Nazis out there. They just keep falling on out. They're getting. They're becoming a little more bold. Let's say too. So. Yeah, it turns out that uh, a global pandemic really like washes the remaining veneer off white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Which is like a, a frightening turn of events, but also maybe it's good it's being more revealed. Yes. Also, our general acknowledgement is worth saying. Even if you've studied collapse for decades, it doesn't make it a much easier time to exist. It is still fucking weird out. It's hair raising. It's hair raising. It's getting worse. And it's probably going to keep going that way. I think the hard thing is like, for me, especially, I, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but is the uncertainty of it. It's just you don't really know what to believe. You don't really know who to believe. You don't really know what's going on. But we were talking about it yesterday when we were driving in the car. And we were saying that, well, in collapse, a marker of collapse would be that you don't know what's going on. That there isn't somebody standing at the top of the hill yelling, hey, we're in collapse now. Everybody get your rucksacks ready and get ready to make your camps and head out of the towns or um, time to move on to the next thing. You know, the marker of collapse will be and is confusion. Yeah, the town crier is the first to go. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as they know, they're out, they're out the window. Uh, yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's not necessarily like a well-informed conga line that's going to go through and smash the thrones on the way out. Right. Uh, and while while the thrones are being smashed, there might not be anyone standing at the top of the hill announcing, today's the day the thrones are getting smashed, everyone is free. This, most certainly this time will now be marked by confusion. So I think it's kind of a state that we need to get used to living in. Also, it's a good time to be a trendsetter. 
smash the thrones ahead of time. You don't have to wait for the town crier because, as we said, the town crier is not going to say it. So just right, we have to kind of like stay focused, work together, talk about it amongst ourselves. Because if we're waiting for somebody to say, "Hey, this is it. It's happening," that's not going to happen. No, that's not going to happen. Um, also, like you know, stop seeing things definitively. I've always said I, I know that. Like, Guy McPherson stuff, when it was blowing up however many years ago, when he started being crazy predatory um, and horribly unethical as a, a therapist or as a, whatever he was saying, a grief counselor. Um, <clears throat> like, people saying, well, we're all doomed. Everybody's going to be dead by 2050. And the response I've had at the time and since is, like, all those predictions were predicated on the idea that things continue as normal. Hmm. Since 2008, things have not continued as normal. In some ways, they're way fucking worse. In some ways, they're just massively different. Mm -hmm. um, and what we're seeing right now is, like, this is another huge uh, wrench in the in that kind of chain of events. And, of course, if you know anything about climate, I hope people who are listening do. Uh, there's, there's a certain degree of inevitability with, like, a lot of climate change stuff. There's a 30-year to 50-year or longer backlog between... Uh, the impacts of pollution and damage done already. Mm -hmm. But, uh, so, I mean, those things are going to be coming, but the the premise that goes along with all those predictions is, like, if we stay on these same trajectories, like, if production continues mm -hmm. the same and, ex mm -hmm. and use continues to be the same, like, don't get too invested in that stuff. Like, you should be afraid. We need to be acting and acting in, in kind with understanding that those things can be what happens. Right. But in seeing the frailty of civilization, seeing the frailty of business as usual, it's a good indication that, like, if you stop cutting grass, if you stop cutting lawns, if you stop doing all this stuff, it's like the the regeneration and carbon stuff is going to start changing very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something we've seen even with coronavirus is pollution numbers drop mm -hmm. because people aren't traveling as much. People aren't using burning as much gas. Right. Uh, it so, turns out people can stop. The, yes. We can stop doing the things that we're doing. Sometimes it feels like it's like a crazy death march. Like, well, you can't stop, so we're yeah. just going to inevitably end up in this place. But I mean, and I mean, this is sort of like a terrible reason for people to have stopped. But like, the the world has stopped. Yeah. In a way. These are all the things. It that can we're happen. About. It is possible. Yeah, like these are things we're talking about. It's like there's no, they're not just as much as there isn't the town crier yelling there saying, "Hear ye, hear ye, civilization hath collapsed." Um, there's there's nothing set in stone about all these things, and there's all these different aspects of collapse that are like going to drastically change the way it's going. And that's part of the collapse process. That's mm -hmm. why it's a process. It's just like a number of things. It's just nothing about it is cut and dry, and nothing about it is easy, aside from the fact that it's just definitive. Mm -hmm. If civilization is mathematically impossible, it's mathematically impossible. Right. That's the one thing we know for sure. This will not last. And every civilization before has collapsed. This one does not have a surprise ending. There's no wonderful third act that's going to be like, <gasps> right? Every previous iteration of civilization has collapsed. That's a better way to say that. Yes, Elon Musk will not save you. And uh, <laughs> he is doing a really good job of playing supervillain, though. He's he's excelled. <laughs> very, very, very good job. And meanwhile, Bezos is supposed to be set to become the world's first trillionaire. Also, supervillain. Yeah, like. Mm-hmm. Just say no. Just say no. And of course, it's sad to say this, 
but it is worth reiterating. Uh, as you mentioned, like, it's hard to know what to trust or what to believe. Like, that's about the details of it. There's way too much of the radical world or anarchist world or, or any kind of, I don't know, what do you call it, subcultures or anything like that mm-hmm. that are way too prone. And I'm sure we're all seeing this. People you had previously thought were intelligent, capable individuals suddenly have jumped onto every coronavirus conspiracy. That's not what we're getting at. Yeah. <laughs> the details of it all are going to be changing, but it doesn't mean that we're like, well, I don't know. So does it right. matter? It's like, yeah, no, it's a it's a virus. Yeah, I'm not sure why that is so prevalent right now. I mean, I guess it's just people want answers. And so they're... And I, I think sometimes conspiracy theory, while it is confusing and sometimes kind of silly seeming and all of that it it, I mean it does strike me as people are critically thinking about what's put in front of us right and then they're trying to follow logical conclusions to somewhere other than what the powers that be are telling us because it does we do know they're not telling the truth either you know Mm -hmm. but then it's just so odd to me that the conspiracy theories go so off the rails sometimes because the person running the show is a narcissist and has no allegiance to truth and has said everything at some point. So it's just like... Right. Like, we don't need a conspiracy. We touched on this last time, too. We don't need to go down the route of a conspiracy theory to say our politicians are lying to us. Our politicians are always lying to us. Yes. That's fact, not conspiracy. Yes. It's like, we don't have to go so far. We just have to stick with what's happening. That's bad enough. Yeah. it's, It's terrible. And also, like... I mean, are we really making the argument that we're listening to politicians on this one? It's like, no, no, they're not the authority. Like, no, we should be pretty well aware that there's a massive difference between people saying that there's a public health crisis and then being like, oh, government. I, I think the backdrop of that is like equating authority on subjects or authority of knowledge with authority, authority. It's mm-hmm. like, if, if authority of knowledge meant anything about authority, then we wouldn't be facing, like, endemic climate change. Well, and the don't. whole, the idea of climate change here, I mean, we can clearly, we can clearly say that the pandemic, this level of pandemic, this type of virus, the way that this outbreak is happening is indicative of a drastic change in climate that we know that viruses like this will become more prevalent and stronger we know that they'll be able to travel farther we know that they're going to be able to mutate and a lot of that is happening from climate change i mean ecologically speaking we know that so we don't have to go down the road of a conspiracy theory we don't have to say anything about where it was created or if it came out of lab if it came out of a wherever it came out of like we know that this is this type of thing is a result of climate change so and also, we know that the history of civilization is how do you create the perfect conditions at every step of the way for public health crises? Right. Crises. Crises. So, there's that. I'm sure we'll be discussing it more. It's just a maddening situation, so it's kind of part of it just like, ah, what, what are we doing? Why is this Yeah. anything crazy? But then the other side of it is just now cops have less qualms and less restrictions about uh, just beating the shit out of and killing non-white people and being beyond tolerant and just open arms for armed white people for a bunch of bootlickers who all have their uh, Blue Lives Matters things 
spitting and coughing in cop's face and cop's just being like they're one of us so what are we gonna do uh, yeah but it's just disturbing yeah um, it really is uh anyways on to other news you know what i wanted to say i just wanted to say that i really appreciate our listeners and our supporters and we got such funny emails and communications from people last time because we had talked about uh, receiving hate mail about love and then we were very delighted to get emails that had in the subject heading <laughs> hate mail about love yes. um so i just wanted to throw out another thank you to our listeners and to our supporters and um I just, it's really, really wonderful to connect with like-minded people. It's very true. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's really reassuring. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so the big thing we've mentioned a number of times, and it is finally coming, and also there's a new part of it that's coming up that's very exciting, the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Natasha's new book, Writes a Passage, which I'm beyond thrilled about, and I cannot wait to talk more about it. I cannot wait to have more about that book. Um and the second edition of John Zerzan's uh, Origins Reader. Also very exciting. Yeah, which is revised and going to be very, very rad. Uh, that's coming up very, very soon. But ha, ha, ha. Here comes the news, <laughs> the big thing. We got an audiobook of Liminal. Something very wonderful and unexpected. Liminal was Natasha's novella that Black Green Press put out in 2014. It was received with... The most fanfare of anything Black and Green Press has done, and that's because it is an amazing novel, uh, it, or novella, and it is written... Would you like to sum it up? How do you sum it up? I don't ever sum it up. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens every time Kevin asks me a question. If I know I something know. about something, or if I do something, I'm like, I actually never do that. <laughs> well, it is, as I've often said, and I will often say it, it's because Natasha is just magical and genius, and she's just... <laughs> Produce like you're getting insights into her mind when you're seeing these things. They just work out very well. Uh, but this novella is amazing, uh, and uh, it's about a mother who um, I I re- I don't even know if I can summarize it. I mean, basically the it's not my strong suit. The presumptive or the 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 underlying story, the the point, or not even necessarily the point of the book, but the fact of the matter at which the book is based upon. Is this woman is taking, like, become a part of a cell right. that has found some kind of action that is right. going to, like, fundamentally destroy the grid. Right. Uh, presumably destroy the grid or render, like, there's some plot, some massive larger plot that's, like, pretty much just alluded to. Yeah. About taking down civilization. Uh, and she's going to die in the process. Right. And she knows, and she knows it. She knows it. Right. And it's the last year of her, the book, the story is written over the last year of her life. So it's like grasping with, her daughter. Mm-hmm. with the things that had the unexpected things about life that had happened in between, and like just this beautiful story about life and consequences. You know what I think is easier for me to talk about than a summary because summaries are so summaries. Suck. Oh, they're so they fall so short. I can write is five what, books before. Is why I wrote why I ended up writing that story, and go. I feel like the. So I wrote it right after my son was born, Rebel. Mm. No, our son. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's seven now. So, but I had just come out of a really sort of intense time of like lots of public and community work and activism and like very social time. And then I had my son and I immediately became like frozen with panic over 
bringing a baby into a collapsing ecosystem or one that's deeply threatened by human behavior. And um, I just was literally panicked about it. I would be up at night, you know, thinking about it and doing some writing. And um, I mean, anybody who's had children and is aware of the state of the world, I think everybody hits that moment or moments where you just like you're holding this little baby who's helpless and is relying on you for everything and you're going what have I done you know what kind of world do I have to offer you and then uh the story of this woman just sort of started to like manifest in my mind um and then I I felt like after having a child too there's also a part of you that immediately recognizes your own mortality or the possibility of your own mortality. And so you all of a sudden are sitting in this feeling of like, well, what if something happens to me? Like, what happens to my child? Or what if something happens to my child? Or what if we're separated? It's just this, like, very innate kind of frightening feeling, right? That's absolutely dread. So um, I really needed to explore those things because writing is part of the way that I work through things. Um, And so I wrote a story about a woman who is also terrified about the state of the world. She recognizes that there's something she can do. She decides to do it. But then she also has to face the terror of being separated from her child and her husband. Um, And so it's that story. I'm such a fan of it. I'm just, like, fanning out. (laughs) Um, But it's it's just it's an amazing book. Most people, I mean, like... Bring your Kleenex along. Bring your handkerchief. Like, you're going you're gonna to feel on this one. And that's something that's sorely missing in a lot of this milieu. And the, But the novel got really, really, really good responses. And uh, it sold out pretty quickly. Um, it has been out of print for some time. It's been out of print for quite some time mm-hmm. at this point. And it was, it's the one book that Black Green's done that um, people are like, I'm buying 10 copies of this to like give to friends yeah i've been really blown away by the response to it and i have gotten so many like kind letters and emails and talked to so many people over the years that it um the story really touched them and i mean i know it's not everybody's cup of tea but i'm it i think as a writer when you really get those like heartfelt moments of connection with a reader that's it's unbelievable I mean, it's just like, here I am talking about my experiences and my feelings about the world, and I, and then you get to connect with somebody else who's like, that really resonates with me. Like, that's such a feeling of connection, and for both the reader and the writer, of like being seen and being known, and it's very powerful. Yeah. And so, I'm very excited that Liminal is a part of Rites of Passage, your book coming out. Right, right. So we're very happy about that. We decided to republish it because it's been out of print for a long time. Um, but it is a very short story, really, so it fits yeah. very well into a volume of other work. And a, a, a wonderful volume of work. I'm very excited about it. We are. We're very excited. But we did get uh, the audiobook. Longtime friend of Black and Green Breasts, Ryan Morgan, of the band Misery Signals, which is also awesome. Great love, band. Love Misery Signals. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a reading of it, like a very pro-quality reading of it. Uh, he also had done earlier a reading of my essay, The Suffocating Void, which has been out for a while. Um, but he did the full audiobook, and it is awesome. Uh, so we're going to wrap that into, like, the Kickstarter and figuring out what we're doing with that. We haven't exactly... He just kind of, like, sprung the idea, and we're like, yes. This is- yeah, I was blown away that he even wanted to do it, and he did such an amazing job. I feel like 
that like the story comes to life in a different way now hearing it read like this um and then he did at one point say like should it be read in a woman's voice because the you know the um main character is a, a woman she's a mother but i think that ryan's voice was perfect for it and he just did such like a professional beautiful job we have been like going crazy about this recording yeah so I'm actually going to jump in the prologue here, but at the end of the episode, we're going to have the first chapter. The chapter is fairly short, but we're going to have the, the end of it at this episode just so people can get a taste of it. But I'm going to go ahead and stick that in now, and then the rest of that chapter is the episode, at the end of the episode for those who can and should want to listen to it. Uh, and then, yeah, we'll jump right back. Prologue. The winter before everything changed, I was lost. I'd descend the twenty-five wooden steps to the basement, only to stand, hands empty, gazing, eyes blurred, at the boxes of forgotten belongings. Outdated sweaters, old magazines, baby toys too precious and memory-soaked to part with. Pieces of my life, folded and stacked, put away, smelling vaguely of sage and lavender. Sense to keep the moths away, with their soft and papery wings. Or I'd walk to the mailbox and open the small door, just to look inside, needing to see something empty. Cobwebs in the back, silvery threads, tiny eyes. A look at the lives of those accustomed to living in darkness. I think my heart already knew what my brain refused to accept. And maybe it was better that way, really. Less painful. Hazy. So there is that. Ryan's awesome job. Also, props to Misery Signals. This band is putting out their first album or in years now. Um, mm-hmm. They just put out a new single, didn't they? The new single just came out a couple days ago. So check that out. Turn it up. It's hot. Uh-huh. They're people really good. Hot. And he just did such an amazing job. We're really thankful to him. And a lot of people might not know this. Ryan is very much in the anti-Civ camp. He's been like, Misery Signals and Peregrine go back. I go back with Ryan. Uh He's, he's part of the reason Black and Green is where it is in a lot of ways, and uh, that's awesome, but he's also a fucking great lyricist. Hmm. A lot of people not, might not know the anti-sim stuff that gets mixed in with Misery Signals. So there you have it. Cat's out of the bag! <laughs> also, he's got his band Burning Empires, which was unquestionably an Erica Primus band uh, with a number of people from Misery Signals and also uh, Hurley from Fall Out Boy. Uh, and a number of other projects. I mean, honestly, we probably could and should do an episode talking about anti-Civ bands and other artists um, because I think there's more than people are aware of. We've I've, I've mentioned this a bit on the show before. And Have I, we done a music episode? Um, Let I'm, that beat drop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I just kind of like wasn't sure about the relationship to music and also because like your relationship to music no 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 the, the, the world's the relationship to music <laughs> the world of listeners for a podcast and the music taste that i have but we can always add more music into the podcast well i think the thing is with music i think it, you know everybody has their own personal taste but if they're if people are interested in hearing what we're saying on this podcast even if they don't like the genre of music we're suggesting it might just be interesting to talk about artists outside of music music artists like all different types of artists that are working within the same kind of ideas yes i agree i think it's appropriate just something that i've 
haven't dealt with as much. Uh, there's been a couple times I've put stuff on. But you can be a little bashful about your your music life. Let's I'm just gonna, say. I'm gonna let Natasha take musical direction. <laughs> it's been it's been allocated. If you have views about it, you can now direct them to Natasha. <laughs> Email me if you'd like to discuss this. <laughs> put in a memo. Mm-hmm. Pager. <laughs> okay. The task at hand. Mm-hmm. What is primal anarchy? Where are we jumping in on this? So, uh, a bit of context. Like, primal anarchy is something I've been working in more and more in regards to um, this perspective and, like, what actually encompasses this worldview. And I've gotten, you know, with, with all ideas, it's a lot easier to start off. Um, for lack of a better word, defensively, which mm-hmm. is why the internet is filled with fucking critics who have nothing to offer the world aside from vitriol for things that mildly annoyed them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the internet loves that kind of shit. The world loves that kind of shit. But, like, for most writers, it is generally where people start, and I'm no different. Um, you started so, with critique, right? Critique, mm-hmm. responding to people, and then, like, really kind of shaping it up to the point where it's like, Okay, I'm not just responding to this thing. This is actually what I want to present. Um, and primal anarchy had been kind of like um, latent in a lot of the work. Uh, and a reference point, I think that I started using the term like, I don't know, 2004 or something like that. Hmm. Um, I've been talking about primal work for a lot longer than that. Uh, but yeah, I started leaning more towards that around that time. And then increasingly working it in different ways so I got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm like, we're, we're done with this. And there's a, an essay that we can actually post the link to uh, called To the Captives. I think I've read parts of it mm-hmm. on the podcast before. It's in Wild Resistance number six. That essay even in and of itself is a little bit more on like the defensive side of, on, of explaining why I used primal anarchy so more than like anarcho-primitivism. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not what we're talking about right now. So like, I think that there's a lot in there. I'm proud of those. I'm, I'm proud of all the work I've done. And, like, I think this is a, a running theme throughout all this stuff. But right now what we want to do is we're just saying, like, okay, we're, we're moving on. Like, we've got it figured out. So it's a, that stuff's been said and done. Mm-hmm. We want to put forward primal anarchy. Like, this is... Right. We want to define primal anarchy. It's the name of the podcast. It is. It's the URL for the podcast. It is. What we're getting behind, but like, we want, we want this out there. Right. This is the core of the work. Right, and I think that it's become clear to us increasingly, and especially more recently, that uh, some of what is Western anarchism, which what would fall under that heading, mm-hmm. that feels like. What word would you use? Burden. Burdened. Gatekeeping. Right. Uh, I was going to use the word lacking. <laughs> it, it, it feels like uh, it's lacking a certain, um, for me, the biggest thing that it feels like it's lacking is the connection to the natural world, yeah. to the land base. Absolutely. Which is where green anarchy has al- always set itself apart. Mm-hmm. Um, thoughts on that? Thoughts on the Western anarchism? Let's part? get back to it. I think, like, let's let's lay out what it is we, we're talking about, and then we'll come back to, like, let's see if we can do it the other way. Either way. 
really actually welcome to this conversation because Kevin and I keep going around and around on what is the best way to define primal anarchy. And if you want a little peek into our lives, we tried to do this podcast a few nights ago. It went haywire. (laughs) We work very well together, but every so often when you mix sort of, uh, you don't like the word philosophy, what could we use instead? Talk amongst yourselves while I choose wording. Um, I'm going to just use the word philosophy for right now. If you're, if you're sitting, if you are partners and you're also talking about philosophy, like sometimes those conversations go off the rails. So welcome to this conversation. I think it actually makes more sense to just have it. It, Let's include the entire world in this conversation that we're having. And like, how would you describe primal anarchy? Like this is something you've been thinking of for such a long time. It is something that is like the core of your work. You've kind of whittled it down. And as we've been talking about it, I feel like we've come to the point where we're saying that primal anarchy is basically our natural state of being. Mm -hmm. It's not a political idea. No. It's a natural state of humanity. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I've I've made no qualms about saying this is human nature. And I'd have had, it's it's been kind of hilarious in the anarchist. I mean, the anarchist world can go fuck itself for the most part there's a lot of it that is just like we're gonna get letters we're gonna get letters. i mean <laughs> they're gonna go nuts about our anarchist news they can go fuck themselves i've said it from the start i'll say it a million times anarchist news is the worst thing to happen in anarchist history uh and it's the worst thing to happen in anarchism but also congrats anarchist news you're one of the reasons for saying you know what maybe anarchism isn't the thing to hold on to yeah anarchy and anarchism can be radically different things and if you just want to have a club where you get to be right and get to be a pompous ass to the world and just shit post on the internet well there's anarchist news you guys succeeded at being a a tiny kingdom of grumpy nothing. grumpy of the grumps of the grumps for those of you that don't know anarchist news is a website that posts information about anarchist happenings and there's also a huge contingency of people on there that for one reason or another absolutely despise kevin <laughs> So there's lots of shit talking that goes on. There's lots of infighting that goes on. There's lots of drama. I think that's part of the reason that people like to follow it. And no no offense if you're just a, a fantastic person who drops in there sometimes and just wants to see what's going on. Like, no offense. But there's we, we've had some issues. We have some issues with that contingency of people. Yes. Um, and I think it's part of what has brought us to the point of saying you know what some of the some of what has been western anarchy and anarchism for for this long that maybe it's time to separate from that and really um be more clear that this is a separate branch well i mean it's like there's a couple different aspects of it and one i I kind of balk about a lot of things like philosophy you know i've got my he won't let us use it Guys, you won't let us use the word. I got my claws out about it. Um, and, you know, we're both writers. We get in, we talk about semantics a good deal mm-hmm. um, and the, the larger ideas that, that encompass them. Um, but, like, I mean, really what's most disappointing is just seeing that the anti-civ milieu and the green anarchist milieu have, like, gone off a fucking cliff. And anarchist news is the core of that. Um, where it's just, like, anything goes as long as you're grumpy and hating everything else. And that's what it means to me. Well, and it's really about the individual. It's very individualistic. It's absolutely driven by the individual. Right. Like, the worst. The worst of it. The worst and of the worst. So would you say that the way that, say, the Western branch of anarchism is right now, it's very much about the individual? 
so there's there's a lot of it and i mean like going back in hierarchy history and i mean i've railed on sterner a lot like a lot of people consider max sterner to be the founder of anarchism um it's really just a you know a nonsensical libertarian and as like raging libertarianism takes over like i like you really do get this comedic kind of sense about where that individualism stuff can really go um and of course all these people just freak out there because they're just like oh you just don't understand sterner it's like no that's what nobody does that's why everybody paraphrases sterner all the time because it's a bunch of nonsense and it's actually um his stuff about individualism um i probably should grab me at some point i'll read it again um but uh i found a, a quote about eric Fromm or from eric Fromm about narcissism the other day i was like shit egoism is really just like making the case for narcissism which is a personality disorder like mm. that's that's like to make that your political platform and saying that all liberty and all liberation should come from this thing it's just this basically what it comes down to is all this heady philosophical bullshit and there's two sides of the coin so on the one side the individualist branch is just like raging libertarianism mm-hmm. like don't tell me what to do and i mean like the there's no bottom on that barrel like mm-hmm. Anarchy, a journal of desired arm, which was like a big post left anarchist publication. Um, you know, I mean, they, they went so far as being like, well, what should be the age of consent for a child? I mean, like, these people went way the fuck off the deep end. They bandied up with pedophiles. Um, there is interlacing between those publications and uh, uh, Nambla's newsletters. Like, just full-on disgusting. Because some but, people seem to take it to the point of, like, there are no rules or really standards for anything. Yeah. That That is sort of, like, one of, raging, one of the ends of the spectrum. You right. cannot tell me what to do. Right. And if you tell me what to do, you're fascist. Like, somebody saying, I'm going to hold this gun in cosplay because you told me I can't have a haircut. But what we're saying is, uh, if, if immediate return hunter-gatherer... Mm-hmm. is what we are at our core still to this day. It's yes. what it's how we lived on this planet for the vast majority of our life on Earth. Yeah. It's how we're still born today, that we're not domesticated, we're in captivity, and that we are still born as immediate return hunter-gatherers, even if we do not live in a culture that supports that. Um, then primal anarchy is a way to describe that state. Yes. And also... Being. I should say too is like well that like the other side of anarchism is like coming out a lot more because there's this socialist revival or convert like revival right now. It's definitely a revival, right? People are digging up boots to lick left and right, just totally insane. And like there's this uh, communist and socialist fantasy land people seem to exist in. And you know, we saw Happy Birthday Comrade Lenin coming up a bunch. Um, fucking gross yeah it's disgusting so it's like you go on either either side of the spectrum it's just like all these things really what they're bringing about is they're showing that philosophy and ideology all the western tradition is rooted in philosophy and ideology i believe you can reduce like i'm if i'm the starting point my experience is the starting point then like i can break it down to this level or that level Mm -hmm. if i'm coming from this like idea that uh, civilization, I mean, this, like, which socialism and communism and anarchism all carry this kind of cargo capacity, or I'm sorry, not cargo capacity. Cargo short capacity. <laughs> oh, bye. <laughs> <laughs> cargo cult um, for, for civilization. Like, 
we had to. I mean, this was this is implicit in Marx. Marx said that capitalism has to develop subversive socialism to take over the 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 fruits of the labor. We're mm-hmm. going to harvest that. It's mm-hmm. this really religious idea. It it happens, and you see it in the frontiers of colonialism everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like we we tend to we're a storytelling animal. We tend to come with justifications for why this horrible thing is happening and trying to find some kind of silver lining. Mm-hmm. And the silver lining is always toxic metal production, mm-hmm. like rare earth minerals and warlords. Mm-hmm. Like that's the reality of civilization. And all these Western philosophies take civilization as a grant. They, they look at these, um, the state of evolution. They see social evolution as following this linear path and the expansion of complexity, the expansion of hierarchies as implicit within it. Um, and then all these fantastical philo- like philosophers uh, come up with ideas about like, okay, but what if the kernel in that turd is actually good? Mm-hmm. It could be ours. We mm-hmm. could collectively own the turd, and then we'll pull the kernels out, and they're going to be delicious. We can make popcorn. Mm-hmm. We can reheat them and have them as corn, and we can make corn flour from them. Like, okay, there's all these great things. But the problem with the Western tradition is that it's taking this baseline that was just nonsensical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was being based in ideas and based in ideologies so that it could never really be disproven, but you'll throw bodies at it. Endlessly, mm-hmm. like every revolution that's ever happened, we're just throwing bodies into the idea that there's something salvageable within this. That we're going to use the framework of power that's been established. We're going to use the fruits mm-hmm. of power and redistribute them. Like all these different ideas are effectively saying, there's something, some silver lining to civilization that's ours to take, and we're going to have it. It's all cargo cult. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. The when like recently I'd said, um, like on the Soulcaster review, and I've been saying it a lot more since. Like, if anarchy is to survive anarchism, we got to discard the Western tradition. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a place for it in knowing that these people meant well. There's well, absolutely. I mean, you can't knock the work that previous generations have done around these ideas. But you don't want to... <laughs> we, can't, we can't bury them and steamroll them. Because we're standing on the backs of everybody who's come before us. Yeah. I mean, for better or for worse, here we are. Mm-hmm. So... That's that. But I feel like you can just, like, put that somewhere. Like, yeah. you can, like, these things can coexist. Like, we can say these people did good work that brought us to where we are. Good work or not good work. They did work. They brought us to where we are. We can just put that on a shelf now. We could be like, cool, that exists. But that yeah. doesn't mean we have to, like, stay with that. We're not chained to the work that previous generations did. Yeah. Like, the view of 1900s anarchists, like, of the turn of the century anarchists, about the consequence of industrialism would have been uh, relatively minimal. Hmm. Like, they weren't all reading William Blake. They mm-hmm. weren't all, like, talking about uh, the hellfire that comes with, in, with factories and industrialism. And, you know, William Blake was a Christian. I mean, there's, like, all kinds of things you can be like, okay, there's bits and pieces here. Mm-hmm. We should have no allegiance to those words. And we can have a context for that thing. Like, really what it comes down to Everything about primal anarchy is about context. Mm-hmm. Primal anarchy is our context. We are a social animal. We exist in communities. Mm-hmm. We are, and like, it's not this absolutist thing where it's just like, there's no such thing as an individual and it's all community. It's like none of these ridiculous extremes that philosophy can lend itself to. Right. And this is kind of like something that, you know, Paul Shepard and um, Shellis Glendinning have done amazing work on to talk about the process of domestication, the process of making something a captive is about truncating the idea of the individual 
within the context of community. Right. So it's not about this abundant thing of being like, oh, they have, have individuals have autonomy, individuals have the ability to make choices and make movements, but that individual is grounded in community. That individual is grounded in like a developed social animal. Right. Domestication works by just rapidly traumatizing the process of growth, rapidly traumatizing everything about childhood and development as individuals so that we're in this weird kind of runted state of being ridiculously codependent upon a system and also finding that our sense of identity is supposed to be found within that system. Well, civilization works very hard to um, indoctrinate us with the idea that individualism is the highest form of existence. Yes. Civilization operates off of the idea of separating us into units and individual parts, and then that prevents us from having the authentic experiences that would make us strong enough groups of people to get out of civilization. Mm -hmm. Civilization thrives on the individual, being an individual. And we're seeing all kinds of variants of that. And I mean, there's people who get very philosophical and semantical about like historical context for fascism. So like people who have denied that fascism is on the rise now uh, go with like an older tradition or older version of fascism where things are more coherent on a nation state level. Uh And like the rise of fascism we're seeing now I mean, obviously, like, we, like the United States is a white supremacist nation. It always fucking has been. It always mm-hmm. fucking will be. Like, the form of fascism that's taking place within, uh, it, it's not going to necessarily be the same thing that Mussolini had led. Or, or uh, did you say Mussolini? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm pronouncing him. Anyways, <laughs> Mussolini. Um, <laughs> muscle man Uh So, <laughs> sorry. Um, At the cinema. so it's not going to necessarily take the same forms and Mm -hmm. i think that's one of the things that like really makes it so like there's a semantic argument by which people are saying well fascism is on the rise and people are just like well blah 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 and the anarchist world that particularly insidious version of it has really fallen off the deep end and being like well what is fascism you're using the word wrong it's like the fucking words change. Well, and implying that fascism doesn't exist, which is absolutely not true. Like, how can we anybody look at this world right now and not see that fascism is absolutely on the rise? Like, I don't know. I think we just got out of touch with the meaning of fascism. I think yeah. just in in a couple of generations' time, it lost. We lost understanding about what that means. Yeah, and creating like, and I mean that's another part about it. There's like this artificial distance that we place, being like, well, we've moved on from that. Like the the ideas of progress get so implicitly inlaid into our minds that even if we're critical of progress even if we're critical of civilization we still take the bite or like take the bait a a good bit and like kind of believe and have implicitly kind of internalized a lot of these ideas so you know i talk about individualism and the rise of fascism and i've had people respond to it saying well fascism is about the strong man identity and falling behind it and so it has it's the antithesis of individualism Mm. no People stand behind a strong man because they think that strong man represents themselves. And as you get the rise of this particularly like insidious Western individualism that we're seeing, which is just angry libertarians with a lot of guns, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're not saying they're gonna get behind Trump and start a civil war because they're like the will of the people is going to be all of us. They're just like, No, I'm behind this person because this person is the idealization of myself. Mm-hmm. Like and they have this, 
ridiculous fantasy version of that. And there's right. there's been some amazing dives into like the pathology of pro Trump fantasy art where they put his face on like Rambo's body and all this stuff. It's crazy, but it's mm-hmm. there's you know there's good work to be done and a lot to be said about it, even if it's maddening and it's a pit. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we have to be aware that like these things do change. They do change form. And just because like a classification or historical definition for it can be like this is what it's about. It's about this like massive form of, uh, you know, communalist like dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, those things can change. Technology mm-hmm. changes all those things. Just as anarchism uh, was largely defined by people who like were around years before the internal combustion engine. You know, the death of most of the great anarchists were decades before their deaths would have been announced over a radio wave, mm-hmm. certainly before a television, certainly before a Ford-based uh, factory line, or automated factory lines. These things have their times and place. They mm-hmm. change. That's mm-hmm. the whole thing. That's why we can't be just so, like, Im- set on saying the definition stop and start here. Well, I think that anarchy at its best is, um, is always adaptive. It's not a static idea. Yeah. It, it would it's a it's a if it's if we're talking about it as a state of being then it's constantly adapting as we are adapting we're looking at it from an ecological perspective which is innately also biological right like you know things flow this is why this is why there's not this role within indigenous societies or hunter-gatherer horticultural societies based on like really strict taxonomies or really strict like moralistic codes like those mm-hmm. things don't matter mm-hmm. you know that's why there's always with within a lot of um, native traditions. There's this kind of trickster role or something like that. Like mm-hmm. you're you're not having a moralism based on like do not do this and do not do that. Mm-hmm. It's like there's it's like not this, the Ten Commandments. It's the exact opposite of the Ten Commandments. Right. And it's like you get this more like um, storytelling narrative that's based off of like this is something that exemplifies things that are considered antisocial or things that are going to be problematic. And part of that is like instead of being forced to face your demons, you're like, let's just put it out here and just like laugh about it and be able to like joke about it and move on Mm -hmm. and figure these things out. It's like the exact opposite of the internet where it's just like, no, but when does the child have the right of consent? It's like, what's the question you're asking? Right. (laughs) Where where are you coming from? Where are you going? You're still dealing with black and white shit. You're still dealing with all this stuff. A kid's a kid. Right. Yeah, that's not a, that's not something cultures. There's have somewhere massive there is about. a point where common sense needs to step in. A bit of whelp. Whelp. We call it whelp. Natasha <laughs> is the master of whelpism. <laughs> like, there's a whole lot of places where you just gotta be like, whelp. Is that really the question you're asking? It's like, do you really need? Do you really believe that? Do you really need to? Do you really need to ask that question? If the internet didn't <clears throat> exist, would you have said that? Right. You're just knee-jerking against another thing. So give give us a definition of anarchy as you see it. Like, how would you define anarchy? So anarchy from it is a lived state. So like the the thing about anarchy, and I've been saying for this for for a long time, is where anarchy exists, anarchists do not. Like we become anarchists because we want to live within this anarchistic society, um, not because we're there. Like in a like, it's the exact opposite. For anybody who's been to an anarchist meeting or an anarchist conference, anarchy is the exact opposite of all those things. Like, <laughs> there's so many different kind of like iterations, and part of part of my experience, I mean, part of me shaping 
the ideas I've got about this stuff came out of like living in an anarchist collective house in 1999 and 2000. Like while like some of the other ideas were forming, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, this is this is very similar to like wobbly meetings. This is very mm-hmm. similar to all these things where like everybody's coming at it with passive aggressive notes about who is to do what. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong because we're still looking at it as a form of organization that is based off of mediation. It's based off of like mass society and creating all these different roles like well who's gonna fill the potholes it's like well why are there streets right right these are like we're we're looking at these things in this totally backward situation i mean part of the problem with anything that's a western tradition is that it does the like anything coming out of the west because it's mostly christianity based is we have a tendency to make things into the Ten Commandments. Yes. So what you're saying is the anarchy, Western anarchy as we know it, or Western anarchism as we know it, sorry, is uh, kind of like based from the wrong, it's it's coming from the wrong viewpoint from the get-go. Yeah, and I mean, so the way I looked at different variations of anarchism Mm -hmm. for a long time is like the essential question is what is power? So like if anarchy is defined as the absence of the state, like the way the reason that right wing anarchism is like taking off is because it was the door was opened uh, by looking at it as a form of negation. Mm-hmm. So saying, from an individualist perspective, if I'm against government, it means I'm against somebody having a governing body telling me what is right and wrong. And so from that perspective, it's like this totally different beast. Anarchy is just like you cannot, nothing has a right to enforce rules over me. And again, you're asking the wrong question. Like, anarchy isn't just a um, a way of, or, like, it's not just defined by the absence of a thing. And this is the same kind of problem that's come up when people talk about um, indigenous societies as, like, pre-state. Mm-hmm. Like, we're presuming that they're, they're headed towards statehood or mm-hmm. states are going to take over and create the state, like, or a pre-civilized society. We're, we're taking all the things that we're doing wrong as the presumptive course by which these societies would flow. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at it from that libertarian perspective or that, that like right-wing perspective or just from the position of negating, mm-hmm. you're not talking about an anarchistic society as one that functions without government, uh, but just like there is no government. There's a totally different questions. And so like anarchy isn't just like... It's not the rejection of government. Yeah, it's... The society that exists without governance. Right. So repeat that. It's not just a, a principle of rejection. It's not of government. And it's not a political system. It's not a political party. It's, it's con- not even a political idea. Realistically, that's why I make a, a big thing about saying it. it's like we're not left wing, not right wing. And I mean, anarchists have done this for some time. Like, it's a bird wing. <laughs> it's a bird wing. <laughs> it's that different. It's that different. Like, um, we're, we're not talking about the same things. We're talking about, like, an anarchistic society is a functioning society. It's not, like, defined by the absence of space or the absence of governance or the absence of any of these things. It's like, no, how does that society function? And the way that it functions and the reason that you don't have anarchists in an, anarchy, in an anarchistic society is because things do work. This is our default. This is our baseline. And, um, again, I always have to point out, too, that, like, people... Mm-hmm love to give me shit for talking about human nature and they'll show me about it but then they'll quote very Perlman. Perlman mm-hmm. is always worth citing on this in fact I think we should dedicate an entire episode to Freddie Perlman at some point if you haven't already I kind of feel like every single episode is in its own way one but also I can't do it enough 
Like, Perlman is one of my biggest influences. Um, and it's, it's always interesting to see the role that he gets within the anarchist trajectory, which he has never, he had never considered himself an anarchist. He had never considered himself anything but a cellist. Was in a cello rather than a cell of whatever. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, there's there's so much genius in that in that work and uh and everything he did. But yeah, I mean, he was also Kevin's summing through a book right now. Also, if you hear a slap, it's a high five. It's our only sound effect. <laughs> Actually, we're talking about getting sound effects. There's, you know, people will absolutely love that. I think. Um, <laughs> You know, we're, we're finding ways to class up the show, I think. But you see kind of the the challenge in defining primal anarchy. It's talking about something different. And, I mean, I think that's part of the problem in defining it is, like, you know, when we had talked about it the other night and things kind of went haywire, it's like you're talking about, well, what is something tangible about it? It's like, well, okay, the hard part about it is, like, because I had said at the time, and this was borrowing directly from Freddie Perlman, was to say, it's this human spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. There you have it. I mean, yeah. that's sort of the core of it. Yeah, it's the it's this it's a state of wildness. It's the state of wildness. It's the thing, and that's you know that's one of the things about it. It's like people say it's like oh you know you're talking about civilization, you're talking about going back in time, you're going talking about all this stuff. It's like no 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 no. Like the, we're talking about removing all that stuff. You got to stop thinking about social evolution. Like we're asking the wrong question. It's a state of being. It's a state of wildness. It's that state that you're in when you're born into the world before any indoctrination has happened. Yeah, and so I mean, I'm I'm not gonna be able to find it right now. I'll it actually it. reminds me of today when I was mowing the lawn, um, <laughs> because that's a great time to think about anarchism when you're mowing suburbia lawn. Um, I was thinking about that story that you tell about when. Uh, the girls were talking about believing in God, and then they were talking about the cat. Oh, Can you tell that story? This is great. Because this is how this feels to me. It feels like um, in trying to define primal anarchy, it's almost like... Um, Two different... It's a, a tale of two shitties. Like, it's yeah, totally it's, like the di- it's like the difference between left wing and right wing and a bird wing. Like, it's the bird wing. Yeah. It's enti- it's something entirely different, and sometimes this is a story about little kids and their perspective on things, but sometimes it's like, well, we need to look at it from that perspective, like somebody that hasn't been raised in this, that yes. is just raw being. Um, which is always fascinating, too, because between us, we have four children uh, mm-hmm. between the ages of seven and nine. Mm-hmm. It's a story. Mm-hmm. and um, It's also... Like, uh, a daycare it's a lot of kids <laughs> yes and um it's a school <laughs> yeah and uh like all of them were raised without any of like the religious stuff right none of our kids were raised uh in any type of religion and they all have been very much they have all, they all had lots of experience with the outside world from birth yeah they're not they're not raised. the natural world yeah, they're yeah. Not, but they're not like kept in cages away from everything like that but it's just like it's always interesting because it's like we you know not indoctrinating them anywhere or any direction it's just like so you get glimpses of it it's like when you talk about religion in particular it's like these concepts are so foreign like the ideas of money the ideas of all these things are just like right ask a child it'll right. give you a pretty good perspective on how ridiculous right some of these things really are yeah they make us laugh all the time but like this story in particular is uh 
girls are twins of six years old. Like, well, they're seven years old now, but they're they're six at the time. And I was really proud of it. It was like a really great moment. Um, but uh, and I come from I've mentioned in the past on the podcast I come from a Jewish family and like have a Jewish background. Jews are not pro missionaries. You like, were raised in the. I mean, I was raised. I was Jewish raised as, religious tradition. Yeah, I was yeah. raised a Zionist. I mm-hmm. was like the furthest extent of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, uh, but you did not raise your girls in oh, that no, no. same way, right? They, they, they're raised without religion. Mm-hmm. Um, they see the world as living. They have no questions about the the relationships between plants and animals, and they great love of the earth mm-hmm. there's there's no fantastical demons mm-hmm. haunting them their nightmares mm-hmm. besides mm-hmm. the ones that we've placed upon the world the machines um so uh but jews were, were not preachy uh very anti-missionary it's a lot easier to walk away from a religion instead of there being an evil man that's sitting in the middle of the earth that's just like it's lacking the evangelical component it is like explicitly so, right? Like it's like that's one of the things that sets Christianity apart. Um, it's one of the more sinuous aspects. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it goes back. And actually, I should say one of my like, this is also another relevant thing to it. One of my favorite Yiddish sayings is "Nishka Fligan and Nishka Stoigan," uh, which means it didn't have wings and it didn't fly away. Like the Jewish version or the Yiddish version of um, "If a pig had wings" is like mocking transubstantiation of Christ. Right, right. <laughs> it's like the core belief. They're like, isn't this like, silly? Yeah. It's like, okay, the Christians are at it again. Yeah, it got up <laughs> from the grave and it flew away. I mean, like, you can look at the Old Testament and be like, well, it's full of it had wings and it flew away. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing. But right. at the same time, it's like, it's just funny. Like, it's, I'm not saying that there's consistency <laughs> with these things. Uh, J.J. O'Kritish and Lineage has always been about colonization. You can just say things you think are funny. It's just it, funny. You don't... <laughs> that's fine. Yes. And there's a lot of self-replicating humor in Yiddish. And it's, For sure. It's great in that regard. But, um, yeah, so it's a lot easier to walk away from the stuff. There's no, there's no consequences. Like, uh, Jewish hell is, like, absence of God's light. It's like, okay, well, if God isn't real, there's no light to turn off. I don't care. <laughs> it's just you walk away from it. Uh, but my parents still, like... It very much would wish that the girls were raised Jewish um, and raised with any of those traditions and occasionally will try to say things to them. And um, uh, one day I, I happened to walk in as <laughs> the girls when they were six. My mom was trying to like say something about God and they're like, there is no God. They're like, look, <laughs> do you look up in the ceiling? Do you look up in the sky? There's no God there. And then the, the best argument I've ever seen, I was like, this is, this is a moment of fatherly pride. When the girls were like, the cats don't believe in God, do they? So what happens to them? They're like, look at the cats. They don't believe in God. They're not haunted by this thing. I was like... But that's sort of like the spirit of the thing. Yeah. That's really the spirit of primal anarchy at the core. I mean, and I think that that's part of the thing that it's been like this haunting kind of thing. And it, it gets so hard because you get caught up in these things. And that's part of the whole aspect of coming from a defensive position. Mm-hmm. If anarchy is, if anarchism to you is like, I need to explain to people why the state is wrong. Like you're taking the wrong narrative. And this is something you and I have talked about a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. This is something that's going to be the recurring theme. Like if you've got a notebook for the primal anarchy podcast or like what Natasha and I are doing, if you want to sum it down, mm-hmm. it's like, we're saying the wrong narratives. What a cool notebook. What a cool notebook. <laughs> For sale now. <laughs> Just kidding. Maybe. Uh, but, like, 
the the summation of the work we're doing is like talking about healing and trauma but the 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 baseline of that is like you need to break out of this abusive relationship we have with civilization mm-hmm. and start asking different questions like if you're like i can't climb over this wall i couldn't possibly climb over this wall it can stop you from realizing like the wall only goes so far right i mean like that applies in so many different ways like if you're we're we're meant to internalize the system we're meant to internalize walls it's a great quote don't even know who to attribute to it but like every wall has two sides right that's civilization like there's to keep you out and to keep you in yeah and, and i'm gonna go back to again the idea even just the simple idea that i feel like a lot of us have been going with the narrative that we're domesticated but if you look at it as that we're not domesticated domesticated implies like some serious biological and cultural changes if you step back for a minute and you look at it from a totally different perspective that we're not domesticated we're just wild creatures that are caged that's a completely different a completely different state of events state of affairs yes and also this means like this is the core of the thing too like i've gotten people who are like oh you're not you're just like reading this wrong you're talking about egoism wrong and stuff like that and they're like you don't understand max stern it's like yeah, fucking max stern died in 1840 He's a white dude. He lived his entire life in the fucking academy. He died of an insect bite when he was 50 and just took care for his mom, who was, like, mentally un- unsound. And reasonably, he probably was as well. Um, fucking cares. Like, all right, he's, it's, it's an insane thing. But, like, again, this comes back to that whole point. Like, at what point do you stop being allegiant to this other narrative or being allegiant to all these different responses that have happened within that timeline or within that narrative or within that perspective um like we're we're constantly willing to throw out things that no longer work mm-hmm. i mean like people are like oh you're just asking a lot of other people it's like i i've been a diehard anarcho primus since 1999 like i had been and i mean I, I still do identify with it i don't identify with a lot of what people consider anarcho primism right now and a lot of the weird directions facebook seems to have taken it mm. um but, like, the core of it is, like, still there. But at the same time, like, it's been years now of saying, okay, well, that term no longer fits. There's these things within it. We're constantly reevaluating to say, it's like, you know, if you do the same thing so many times and you're not getting where you're asked, where you're getting mm-hmm. at, you got to keep evolving. It's like my whole perspective of anarchism uh, was going down that line. The question of anarchism being, like, we're, you know, we're against a state. So what does that mean? What does this mean for these societies? And also where does state power begin? Like, and the distinguishment that I started saying earlier, the distinguishment between varying sections of anarchism has largely come down to that question of like, well, what is the state? What is power? And so like that, that just keeps going back and forth. And then within the green anarchist milieu, um, like in the early two thousands, we pushed that line. They kind of pushed the social ecology stuff out Mm -hmm. doing anything. Um, and got to the point of saying it's like, well, the problem is civilization itself, uh, and that was a large umbrella. Like that's just, even within that, we can see like huge degrees of of separation, different different views. Mm-hmm. But that was that question. So it was like this constant reevaluation, this constant need of being able to say it's like, okay, this what's what's answering the question? What's that, what's the wrong question, or what's getting nowhere and getting rid of these things? And this thing itself of saying like. You know, are we captives or are we domesticated? Mm-hmm. Like, you can't necessarily be both. Mm-hmm. And so this is something that we're constantly talking about. And it's like another evolution of saying, it's like, okay, we're going to stop using domesticated past tense for 
humans because mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense in any kind of like honest assessment of the world that this term applies for all of humanity because mm-hmm. there's still hunter gatherers out there there's still horticulturists right. out there there's still people living in all different ways like there's nothing it, it's like you got to get past that point of saying okay domestication was this event that happened ten thousand years ago and then Boom, also, I just think if we say that we're domesticated, which I just don't even think is accurate, then that implies that there's going to be a really long process of us getting back to a state of wildness as a people and as a culture. Mm-hmm. That's that is a dangerous road to go down because I don't think that's true at all. Yeah. I think our brains and our bodies and all of us are still in a state of wildness. We're we just haven't lived. Most of us just haven't lived in a culture that encouraged that behavior. Intently sub subverse subverted and like absolutely absolutely and so it's like when people so so let's not say we're domesticated my god that's making our lives a lot harder than it has to be than we than it needs to be but that's also the the whole point it's like to say we're domesticated to have this whole narrative it's like well social evolution is a path that's that's the whole point of saying there's pre-civilized societies and pre-state societies they're all destined to be this domestication happened at this point that's the narrative that civilization gets Mm -hmm. there's a million flavors of there's a million different ways it plays out and like all these different iterations of like anarchism or like other social theories all play within that. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about taking down civilization, we can't be asking those questions because they're playing on that playground. Right. They're playing on the poli- on the, the realm of politics. So sometimes when we talk about this too, like we have, we do go around a lot of conversations about things and I have said at times, why do you feel like anarchy is even the word to use. Like, why not just use the term um, immediate return hunter-gatherer? Or why not, why are you, why use the term anarchy, right, at all? And as we've talked about it, I think it's still, it's a necessary word for people today mm-hmm. because it does still imply that the state needs to be abolished. Yes. You need the word anarchy in it. Because there's also a level of resistance that we need in our lives and in our communities. It's implicit. Because the state exists. Yes. Right. So, I mean, like, because I don't see... This is a key element to me. Because I feel like, like, anarchism isn't necessarily accessible to everyone right now. That idea isn't accessible. It's it's kind of unfamiliar to a lot of people. And I think it also has gotten um, sort of like a bad feeling around it like it's it's not uh it's not a term that is relatable to a lot of people right now mired in elitism it's got too much of a back absolutely so i think to uh like bring it back to refresh it to bring it to a place where it needs to be going forward um we really even need to talk about why that word is important. Why are we ca- why do, why did we use the word anarchy? Why are we identifying ourselves as anarchists? Because the state still exists. Yeah, because the state still exists. But also, again, I think that like, um, you know, all the a lot of the terms that we have, like, uh, you know, anthropologists or historians or just various people like talking about other societies, still use all the same terms to talk about the economies or the anti-economies of of various societies to talk about production and, and societies that had no production, but they had procurement. Like there's a lot of like nuance involved in all that. Um, and I, I do talk about it often. I do bring it in often, but I also know that like there's a time and place for it. Like not everybody wants to read that kind of theory. And I mean, and of course when I'm saying like throughout the Western tradition, I'm also saying it's like stop with Martin Eichels. Like 
Stop with like all these different like all this shit. Like you don't have to go back to Darwin. Like Kropotkin nailed it. Like we don't have to go through and try and explain things through this sociobiological lens, but through which a lot of um, like work and study about like animal societies and things like that of ethology and, and all these different fields in biology. Like we don't have to sit here and like go back through and be like, well, Darwin said it's, you know, this whole perspective of the world is like struggle and survival of the fittest. It's mm-hmm. like, we know socially like social Darwinism, like Darwinism shouldn't have out like this, this strict Darwinian sense that's gone to sociobiology. If we're going to say social Darwinism is a huge fucking issue mm-hmm. and it's been a tool of fascists for a long time, like, we should be able to extrapolate and say, okay, maybe there's a problem with Darwinism. And that's part of the reason why it's like, I do hold on to Kropotkin's mutual aid. I think the first third of the book is excellent. I think you do that in the second and third part. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they extrapolate, they go way beyond. But, like, his work as a naturalist was fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. He said the principles of evolution were not based on natural selection, but mutual aid. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Totally different worldview. Yeah, so it's, it's like it's cooperation versus competition. Yeah, like that's that's such a major thing. So it's like okay, at a certain point, like that's the part we should really be focusing on. We've done a lot of work uh, within the anarchist world, within the radical world of applying mutual aid to human societies, and the ecological aspects of that kind of fell by the wayside. Um, and only now is there like catch up work happening to like really understand plants and animals and the communities that they have and the societies that they created on those terms Mm -hmm. but um for me like the thing about anarchy was it wasn't built in that negation it wasn't built into saying like we're against the state which i mean i am Mm -hmm. um but like you know we're talking about an anarchistic society is a functioning society Mm -hmm. and like these things just work these things that like it's an egalitarian society yeah and they but they explicitly do not have the means for procuring power they do not have the means they negate the means of production and i mean like there's there's this strand and there's there are variations of it like even within horticultural societies where there's some degree of production um or in delayed return or settled hunter-gatherer societies where there are degrees of production and that's why i focus on them because you can see domestication processes in minutia and like that to me is interesting that to Mm -hmm. me is like well, how does this function and how, where, where do things change? How does an economy become possible? How does religion become possible? How does politics become possible? Mm -hmm. We can't just keep using those terms to talk about societies where those things are not only non-existent, but intently not possible. Mm -hmm. Like we're asking all the wrong questions. So for me, that's why anarchy is so important because it's like, all right, we're not talking about just being in the absence of these things, but like, this is, this is a kind of society that works. This is a kind of society that functions. Mm-hmm. And it's been applied to the dreams of the industrialists. It's been applied to the dreams of the civilized in ways that, like, have not been in practice for more than, like, bits and pieces or, or supposedly communes or whatever mm-hmm. uh, here and there. This is this is a much bigger lineage. Mm-hmm. Like, this is how we function. If we've been evolving in nomadic bands of hunter-gatherers and these societies have taken this form for so long. Mm-hmm. What's happening here? Like what's happening within these societies? And also why is it that they like at a certain point, the question kind of changes like from what's happening to keep it latent. That was a question like Pierre Clasters had worked with in terms of uh, societies against the state and saying like, he looked at societies that had horticulture. So he's like, what are the mechanisms by which power is reduced? Mm-hmm. And then extrapolate that back to saying hunter-gatherers had the same kind of mechanisms, but it's like, 
we're asking the wrong question again. Mm-hmm. What we're really looking at is this is a principle of who we are. This is a principle about how we relate to the world. We are meant to deal with each other in this egalitarian way mm-hmm. and living in an ecologically set and rooted way in which conflict resolution isn't just like something that's existing or a problem that they're having to deal with, but something that's like the problems of society are put into the forefront. Mm-hmm. Like the understanding of what can go wrong is put into the forefront because the things that drive us apart within civilized societies, the things meant to divide us mm-hmm. are in, in these societies and in, in egalitarian societies are put at the front so that a community can deal with them. Mm-hmm. So intrinsically different way of dealing with the world. It's an intrinsically different way of dealing with each other. And by taking those problems and putting them right out and saying, like, this is something that needs to be dealt with, instead of being in the civilized perspective of being like, I can live uncomfortably with hating my neighbors forever as long as I keep ignoring it and then trying to find some other way to get meaning or some other way of dealing with that pressure in my life. Right. Like, these are just innately different ways of viewing things. These are innately different ways of reacting. And what we're seeing is, and this is where I come back to the, the human nature stuff, and people reject human nature because they're like, well, Nazis talked about human nature. It's like, well, fucking Nazis were genocidalist industrialists. Like, right. they're ramping colonizers, and they were, there's no question about what was happening there. Uh-huh. We're talking about destroying power. We're talking about destroying the means by which power is made possible. Uh-huh. So, like, none of these tales end in this stuff. Like, people are like, well, you're going to have genocide. It's like, we're talking about removing. We're going the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, no, no. Like, you're like, we're going to take over the grid. Like, we're not talking about that. We're talking about dismantling the means by which power. Like, dismantling the right. means by which anybody can impose their will upon other people. Right. The exact polar opposite. Like, okay, Nazis use human nature. Fuck it. They use all kinds of stuff. True. <laughs> be, it doesn't make you a Nazi because you're talking about human nature. But also, when I'm talking about human nature, I'm not like, it's defined by if you are living as a hunter-gatherer or not. What I'm saying is human nature is this implicit thing within you that every society where domestication exists, every society where there are captives, every society where we are forced to work within the production and reproduction of the oppressive apparatus and the systems it entails has to do the exact same thing, which is look at who you are as a social animal Look at the needs you have as a social animal, tear them apart, and then redirect them through impulses that work for their means. Mm -hmm. Which is why it's like, if you stunt the development of an individual being raised within context, then you grant all meaning to the idea of being an individual. It feeds the system. Where the interesting thing is, in as a member of a healthy egalitarian society, it actually supports healthy individuality. But yes. not individualism. Very different things. Right. Individuality, then, you get to be yourself. You get to have those that open ability to self-express, but as part of a healthy whole. Yeah. Like, all of these things are, I mean, like, so we're not, like, just, like, oh, we're against individuals. No, no, we're, we're not saying the- everybody has to be exactly the same. That wouldn't be healthy at all. Yeah. But we're- there has to be some understanding that community that the community around you is as important as the individual and the individuality exists within a healthy community. I mean, this is part of the problem, just the general detachment that civilization and technology have made possible. And that's why this stuff gets so fucking maddening is that 
because this is the problem with philosophy. Philosophy is so removed from life. Everything is just like, well, I think, therefore I am. It's mm-hmm. like, no, like, you think, therefore we're not talking about the world. It's too much thinking and not enough physicality based in the actual natural world. Yeah. And when you add technology into that mix, things go to this ridiculously comedic, overblown thing. It's like, it's the individual or no individual. It's like, what? Okay, so we need the word anarchy because it's the natural state of being and the state still exists. So our natural way of being still needs to include the resistance to the state and dismantling that. Correct? At its its basics. Can we say that? You cannot have any of these things without resistance. Right. Okay, so there you go. You you do need the word anarchy. What about the word primal? Let's, Let's go in that direction. Well, I do want to say in there as well, just to interject, like also like when we're talking about all these lineages of resistance, that anarchy is in that too. Like the thing that that right. shows that human nature is like, that shows this primal anarchy is our human nature is the fact that at every single step of the way, there's been resistance through civilization. Right. Like all these different things, even like the workers movements of the 1900, even if it was like antithetical to who we are as a ecologically based social animal, like the intent was to like band together and work against this thing that was suppressing. Well, it's it. resistance against oppression. Yeah. Yeah. Like we don't want somebody like the, the, the concept of or construct of power is a historical event. Like it's a ridiculous thing to impose upon other people, and it's it doesn't built feel good. Yeah, it doesn't it feel good to be oppressed. It doesn't feel good to have people impose their will upon you. Yeah. That's like at the core. If you just go to the core level, it's like, well, are you? Are you an empathetic person? Do you want to live and thrive and like be healthy and happy? Do you not like other people's will to be imposed upon you? At the core, yeah. we all are anarchists, really, unless you're going to say that you disagree with that. But you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody. But also the reason people can say that they're like, well, I'm, I or, or can act without empathy, and most people aren't even necessarily saying it. The reason we can is because of the distancing made possible by technology, by civilization. You're always removed from the people who are on different rungs of production. Right. So it's like you can't have civilization without slavery. You can't have it without colonialism. And if people want to say that, like, okay, we're going to have a fucking solar panel for every home or something like that. It's like there's no basis for that in ecological realities. There's no Mm -hmm. basis for that on this planet. Like it just cannot happen. Like, that's just fantastical thinking, and that's more of that cargo cult. Like, we had to have this capitalism so that we could get an ecological civilization. It's like, it's fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, where's the pixie dust to bring these things forth? Right. From which unicorn heads this? It's not realistic. Yeah. It's a whelp. It's like, well, it's not realistic. Yeah. Like, <laughs> these things all just need to be rooted. And But, like, at the same time, again, like, there's that lineage of saying, like, that's where it's coming from. Which is all to say, also, the primal of it is... is right, let's talk about primal. So we've, we've defined the anarchy. Why is that term important? Why are we still using it? Why do we believe in it? Why do I identify with it? Primal, What's the primal piece? Because it's latent in who we are. And primal means first. Like, this is our instinct. This is where we are. It's not... And I, I, I use primal... I mean, like, the word primitive has all kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like... You use like I mean, it's developed more and more negative connotations over the years. Like, it had... And it... It just continued to have like massively racist mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um in in all kinds of forms. Um but like primitive is about like time. Like you're earlier in that stage of evolution. Mm-hmm. Primal is like just first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So like I know that it sounds confusing and semantical in some ways to be like primal is different than primitive, but primal is a state. Right. 
primitive again is a, a state of being. Yeah, and also primitive is self-referential to time. It's like saying right. you're you're earlier in a chain of social evolution. We're pushing that shit out. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, that's that's a bullshit. Like, there's no question about it. Like, this whole development of evolution, this is, or uh, sorry, this ideas about the development and evolution of power being latent within humanity or latent within settled societies or whatever. Like that's all nonsense. We can we can toss that out. It's colonial garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, but primal isn't about a place in time. Mm-hmm. It's just about what comes first. Your instincts. It's timeless. It's timeless. Yeah. Which is a why primal anarchy. I mean, it's like re- effectively what I'm saying is, if we're talking about anarchy, if we're understanding this core and this current of who we are, it shouldn't need a qualifier. But anarchism is given it a lineage from which we have to step aside. Mm-hmm. So instead of being like, well, let's take this anarchist thing that a bunch of Westerners really took the center of. And I mean, of course, there's non-Western traditions of anarchism that are also equally like tied to the philosophical traditions and things like that and expansions mm-hmm. of it. But industrial anarchism, mm-hmm. industrial strength anarchism, <laughs> we could toss it aside. Mm-hmm. Like, But because it exists, we have to have the qualifier. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like... But you kind of also need a qualifier uh, anyway because primal anarchy is based in the wild world. Yes. Not the philosophical one. Yes. And the wild world is a concrete, actual thing. Yes. So that actually brings us back to a much bigger thing. We're talking about the relationship of primal anarchy and, like... The primal world, the world at large. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that we have to do in terms of, like, saying we're asking different questions is, like, the perspectives that we have and the alliances we've had or the the different kind of, like, points we've pulled from, Mm -hmm. like, this is more of a coherent whole. Like, the relationship of primal anarchy, it's not just, I mean, obviously it's not just about negation. It's like talking about, it's not the negation of government or the negation of civilization, but what does it look like to be a social animal that has evolved on this planet in egalitarian mm-hmm. forms, the most egalitarian societies to have ever existed, all these things that run through our blood, the way that we see and experience the world is the same as hunter-gather. Uh, and this is like something that society is coming to terms with in larger degrees than a lot of like these radical, supposedly radical currents, which is problematic. But the thing is, is like as much as we can look at, and we do, and this is something that's been like the core of my work, is like looking at how do we strip down and stop saying like, well, the politics of a hunter gatherer society. It's like, okay, if the politics aren't there, there's no separation in society between politics and ecology or economy and religion and all these things, then we can't superimpose them just because anthropologists are just because Right, you're saying throw out the word politics from that Yeah. Entirely. This politics is, didn't exist in that world. Yeah. For being doesn't exist in that world. Yeah, and for being based in adaptivity, it is a shockingly coherent whole. Mm-hmm. And I think that that part of that flux is like, I mean, this is one of the things that's fucking fascinating about it. Like, if somebody is like, just even from the perspective of like storytelling, to be like, oh, you could tell this different kind of story. Mm-hmm. Like, the story has different versions. The story has different variants. The story is not reliant with or, or reliant upon like concrete terms. It's not like civilization. It's not like we're based on the predictability of the calendar. Because we're an agrarian society. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not chained to these things anymore. Like, there are options out there. There's different worlds. There's different ways you can move, different ways you can interact. And uh, that's, like, this completely fascinating thing. But, I mean, we have to strip down 
at the same time, if we are to learn from this and we want to actually engage this part of ourselves that is crying out and mm-hmm. is failing within civilization mm-hmm. and is dying and actively being suppressed and traumatized within civilization, then we have to do the same thing. Like, so all these different kind of alliances, you could be like this laundry list of, you know, supposed causes or whatever that mm-hmm. are associated um, with, like, you know, anarcho primitivism or green anarchy or anti civilization anarchy. Like, they all become a part of it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for me, it's like talking about the influence I've had with, like, ecofeminism, the importance of ecology and the importance of, I mean, uh, ecological resistance, mm-hmm. uh, solidarity with decolonization and anti colonization movements indigenous resistance i mean the problem is is if you're if you're going to take like this is an idea of saying if you were going to say like primitive anarchy or something like that which is one of the reasons why anarcho primitivism is so ridiculous if you mm-hmm. say primitive anarchism you're like oh that's problematic mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. so if you're like just flipping those terms and playing with them you're like okay if one's a problem the other is too true but like within that there was a tendency to say <clears throat> sorry there's a tendency to say it's like okay this is what it is this is who we're talking about and this is how it plays like this critique plays with these other things. you mean in these particular groups yeah like saying like there's all these different subsects we're still playing with a divided world right we can't do that like primarily a primal anarchy is saying we need to integrate all these all these ideas you need to understand the world from an ecological perspective you need to understand the implications of being a social animal work both ways other social animals deal with trauma other social animals deal with healing other social animals Mm -hmm. have the ways in which they interact with the world and some are the same and some aren't Mm -hmm. and there's there's difference and there's variations there's personalities within every species much less our own Mm -hmm. and like it it doesn't have to be this like it it can't be this thing where it's just like oh we're all frolicking in a field and that's what it is like Mm -hmm. that's that's not what we're talking about Mm -hmm. like there's, there's intricacies of life and personalities in life and details that are going to come and go but the basic principles of it have to incorporate flux but they also have to incorporate grounding they have to incorporate place they have to incorporate the fact that like you know people are saying oh well there's going to be a lot of death if civilization goes on it's like well there's the most death if civilization carries on right like absolutely <laughs> right, not, right. not just like of other animals and like, extinction level events that we're seeing and have seen or are taking part in but you know your humanity is running off a cliff absolutely we all die in that story Mm -hmm. fortunately we have this history of resistance and this history of resiliency that is Mm -hmm. completely counterintuitive to that so it's like we're not going to get to zero right but um like we need to start incorporating all these things and it's also understanding that like in this other narrative in looking at primal anarchy understanding things from an ecological perspective we tend to look at power as something within civilization, we, we tend to look at power as something that's innate, something that's mm. existing in this form, as though it's, as though it is, alien. Mm-hmm. It's just zapped down from space. It's here now. Fucking deal with it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not how it works. Like, we've created artificial abstracts. We've created artificial concepts. We've created all these artificial things that we've imposed upon this world, but they're still based upon a predatory biological relationship with it. Mm-hmm. If you flip the narrative. And we've talked about this often. We continue to talk about banging against the wall. Like that's just a core part of what we're saying. And right. you can take away anything. Flip the narrative. If civilization is a parasite 
And if you understand it as a parasite, which is also a bit of an insult in an ecological perspective, I have to qualify that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, parasites. <laughs> Sorry, parasites. You guys serve a function civilization does not. <laughs> but in this parasitic role where it is just taking mm-hmm. and just destroying, then you'll understand a better like view about how it interacts with the world and how it needs you to see it as separate mm-hmm. and how you stop seeing the connections that exist within that world. Right. So that you can remove yourself from it and destroy it. Well, but, it needs you to see a living world as dead. Yes. It needs to take it needs you to take the living out of it, the living aspect. As a genius once said, <laughs> civilization only loves the living when they're dead. <laughs> I don't know about the term genius, but <laughs> it's absolutely correct that to be able to even function within civilization, civilization needs us to um identify everything as non-living nothing is alive but the genius is natasha (laughs) she wrote one poem what i can say i'll spend 20 years 30 years 40 years trying to say what you did in one poem we're gonna get hate mail about we're gonna hate mail about this bring it on oh shit it's genius and also that poem is in your new book it Uh, is but it is true it's true it's 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 anti the living world Yes, but if you're if you're stuck looking at this world and seeing power as not playing by the rules of or principles of a biological organism or an ecologically based organism, mm-hmm. then your only avenues for seeing ways to resist it come from within its own structure. And so that's why it's like revolutionary movements have this big falling off point. Because mm-hmm. they're like, to take over, it's like to destroy this power, you need to take it over. Mm-hmm. And like that idea... Um, and I've talked a lot about revolutions, and I've talked a lot about these ideas, but, like, the the idea that anarchism, like, in, in 1900, and like, up to the First World War, mm-hmm. anarchism was a viable political movement, even if it's, I mean, we're seeing... Even if we're, we're saying seeing, it, it's not a, it shouldn't be a political movement. It has been. But anarcho-communism is a political structure. Right. So, I mean, like, I have no problem applying that to the politics range. It's on the left. It's unquestionably, like, all those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, it was a viable thing because there was a, a class structure that was unquestionable mm-hmm. with proletarian and bourgeoisie. There was a class identity that was clear and definitive between workers and, like, mm-hmm. everything else. It's mm-hmm. not like now where it's just this mishmash and everybody considers himself middle class. Mm-hmm. And also, like, producers at now, like, the biggest class could be service workers. Right. It's a very different thing. I mean, the world has changed drastically. The world's changed drastically, mm-hmm. but the weaponry that existed before World War One barely included airplanes. Mm-hmm. It barely included most of the things that we've come to understand. I mean, it had like the Gatling gun, and the Gatling gun was being tested in the expanse, the colonial expanses of mm-hmm. Africa and mm-hmm. into the Americas. Um, like a rapidly colonizing world. It's not that these weapons didn't have like massively fatal impacts, but they had limitations. Right. They weren't drones. They weren't unmanned aircraft. They weren't like satellite powered and driven um, location technologies. There was they were f- rudimentary compared to what the technology that exists today. Yeah, there was like the the terror of a of they were enough. They were enough to complete genocide, and we have much worse things today. Yes. Right. We're not going through those means. If you think you're going to take it, like, just because, like, they had this romantic... You mean as far as collecting guns and going out and uh, an armed revolution like that, 
It's not realistic. No, 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 not here. That's for sure. Uh, I mean, like, there's even recent examples weren't dealing with the same kind of thing. Uh, And the the beast has changed. So, I mean, like, not only is there a question of, like, are you looking at the wrong answer? Or the the wrong question, I should say. uh, But, like, is your answer chained? Is it chained to this set of circumstances that changes this this society that no longer applies? Mm. Um, but like when you look at indigenous resistance, when you look at some really like effective, uh, like actual forms of resistance, they come from this other thing about how do you, how do you put pressure on, on, uh, like the, the bottlenecks within a system? Like if it's predatory upon the land, how do you shut that down? And that's why even now it's like when you're looking at indigenous resistance movements that are doing anti-colonial or anti-extraction, mm-hmm. um, like encampments and, tr- and blockades and like this insanely awesome like rise of like uh, railway blockades that's taken place over the last year. Right. Um, that's a different perspective. How does this thing function? How does this thing act? And if it's a biological organism or if it's functioning as a predatory relationship to a biological organism, which is our living world. Mm-hmm. You have a totally different view of it. And something Natasha and I have talked about a lot. And in fact, Natasha has a novel in the works, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. It's just like the reality of civilization is most of it. It's, we, we look at power. We look at like mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. We look at New York City. We look at all these different places. The things that make those things work and that imply and allow and permit the power that comes from them to work is infrastructure that's laid out in the open all across land that is impossible to guard. Right. Our our indoctrination is so complete that the entire system of power grids and agriculture can literally sit out in fields, out in the open, not behind fences, no fences, for the most part. Some of the grid is behind fences, but out in the open, places where our eyeballs can see them. I can walk through a cornfield next door. That's part of the agricultural infrastructure. And our indoctrination is so complete in this culture, in this civilization, that those things don't even need to be behind bars. They don't even need to be locked up. They're sitting right there, and we walk right past them like, well, there's nothing we can do here. Yeah, like, well, how do I stockpile AR-15s? It's like, okay. Right. Other question. And that's that's the idea of that paradigm shift. It's like, okay, well, where where does this infrastructure exist? It's literally in our backyards. Yeah. It's all around us. It's not under lock and key. It's sitting right there. It's like, okay, well, then if we go from that perspective, then which direction do we go in? And that just echoes throughout all this. Again, it's like the differences. I mean, the irony of saying something is a coherent whole and also resilient and shifting and adaptive. I mean, like, it just goes to show our relationship to the world. Like, if you get a better understanding about ecology, if you have more of an understanding about how these societies function, if you go out and actually interact with the world and see how much of civilization isn't about domination but maintenance mm-hmm. and how much wildness is constantly living through the cracks. Um, and, I mean, I, I know a lot of people who, like, grew up in cities or live in cities have a hard time with these concepts. Um, I've had people be like, well, you know, 15 years after New York City, where if the lights were to go out immediately, 15 years after, it would look exactly the same. No. <laughs> like, no stretch of the imagination. I mean, like what a, a strange of... statement, too. But, I mean, like, there's uh, people don't see the amount of maintenance that goes into it, necessarily. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you do need, I think, the ecological background is really important. Um, but, like, 
a basic understanding of like infrastructure is is useful. It's like if you've seen what happens when a building is left alone, if you take a skyscraper that's required on central like recirculated air, right? If you remove that system, like things fall apart very quickly. Yeah. And also, like... Uh, well, and our infrastructure is based on, like, very large structures and slavery. So as soon as you uh, release people from the trappings of civilization, you're talking about much smaller groups of people working together. Mm-hmm. And the work is done by individuals and not slaves anymore, for the most part. And so right there, like, a lot of those infrastructures wouldn't be able to be upheld or yeah. replaced. And also, prepared. I hope that in no... Uh, anarchistic world would anybody be like you know the thing to really keep around lies of fate let's keep that bad boy here it's like no like and the, and, but that's part of the whole thing that's part of the mirage mm-hmm. that civil of, of impenetrability that civilization projects is like we have these you know clean streets and sidewalks and stuff like that even if you go into like more modern affluent like suburbs mm-hmm. they take the power lines instead of having them in the air they have them underground it's like creating this whole different landscape of power to like really drive in this narrative that it's like it's here, get used to it. But like uh, New York City, I mean, I forget what year it was. It was a couple of years ago. I mean, it's probably gone up, not down. Um, you know, citywide, there was five hundred applications of glyphosate per year in New York City alone. So it's like people are like, well, there's no wildness around me. It's like if there's not. Is because there was 500 citywide applications of glyphosate, which is one of the most toxic chemicals that can be imaginable, mm-hmm. being sprayed out there, and it's like this. It's Roundup. It's it's round. It goes by the name Roundup for anybody who doesn't know. Yeah, but I was, I was like, uh, like glyphosate's meant to like kill something for a year, so they're mm-hmm. like having to like constantly reapply this. Um, but like, there's nowhere in the world that wildness isn't isn't there. Mm-hmm. There's no place where it's been eliminated. Right, and also, but wildness is, like, a state, also a state of being. So even if you, it's like I always think about it with roads or pavement, right? Like, you can look outside. Like, I'm looking outside right now. We live in a neighborhood. There's pavement in front of our house. And then, so that appear that has the appearance of having no, like, if you just look at that roadway, it has the appearance of having no wildness whatsoever. If you dig down underneath the road... Soil still exists. There's yeah. still uh, in there's still really intact soil structures if it hasn't been too disrupted. Underneath that, there are there are rocks and boulders, and there are there's underground water, and there are ancient bones, and all those things still exist right yes. underneath the pavement. It's the aesthetics of domination. Right. It's wallpaper. Right. Civilization's wallpaper. It hasn't. It doesn't actually erase wildness. No. It just does a really effective job of covering it up and busting up ecosystems but it tells you a top-down narrative that tells you that those things are destroyed those things are gone those things are out of the picture and that you have no connection to them anyways mm-hmm. it's the basis of and furthermore you don't want a connection to them Ew, they're gross. yucky they're scary stay inside Ew, worms <laughs> but i mean like that's the whole thing Mm-hmm. flip the script on this like you got it like we have to look at this from another perspective we're not just talking about knee-jerk reactionary stuff we're not just talking about saying like i don't like this thing because it stands in the way of me but like what does it look like when you ask a different question what does it look like when you start to see that there is this core of who we are this core of what the world is mm-hmm. that operates on this totally different means and totally different understanding 
of a non-divided, non-section, non-separated world. Mm-hmm. And that chord is still there. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're looking at it from that perspective, and I know I've said it on the podcast, I've said it in writing, and you've said it plenty, we're going to keep saying it. Like, when you see civilization from that perspective, it stops becoming like, how are we going to take down this horrible thing? But, like, how is this beast even functioning? Right. It's on the edge of a cliff, and it always has been. The frailty is being shown by the coronavirus pandemic. The frailty right. is being shown by every single thing down to agriculture and the end of the Holocene caused by civilization-induced climate change. Mm-hmm. Like, all of these things are not as powerful as you would believe, but we're seeing them from this totally different perspective where we're just, like, looking at this linear path that was never there. It's just wallpaper. Right. And you got to see it from a different perspective. There is a world outside of civilization. And what's more, there's even another world within civilization. Yeah. The wildness exists everywhere. Just because there's a city standing somewhere doesn't mean wildness doesn't exist there. It's a state of being. It's also an ecological state. It exists everywhere. Yeah. And that's also why it's like you come down to it. It's like not just a matter of being like, like we have to integrate all the parts. Mm -hmm. Like rewilding is like, okay, here's this movement that we're like, we have affinity with attachment to it arose from the anarchist world now it means all kinds of shit that is nothing to do with wildness nothing to right. do with actual wilding like and this is a conversation we have like what's our attachment to this and it's like okay if we can just incorporate this if primal anarchy means reintegrating with the world mm-hmm. we don't need to go with that <laughs> we don't right. need if to the like, word, if the word or the term rewilding has become troublesome in some way there there are other ways to describe that idea. Yeah. At the core, the idea is a great one mm-hmm. that we're we as civilized, indoctrinated people are able to get in touch with our natural instincts and the mm-hmm. world around us and become a wilder version of ourselves. Right. At the core, that's what that means. Yeah. And it means incorporating and understanding. It's like all the layers of repression, all the layers of repression and understanding. This is another thing that needs to be hammered in. Like, civilization is not a single narrative. There's a there's a narrative behind civilization that's singular, but the ways that that narrative plays out are catered to all kind of, in all kinds of different ways. Mm. We have to stop looking at civilization from the perspective of privilege. And like, white privilege in America, in the first world. And like, again, this is another part of the frailty of civilization that we should be seeing fall apart right now, which is that, like, if you're even in this first world country and you're like, well, civilization's great because we have medicines. It's like, you don't actually have access to that. Right. Like there's ventilator shortages and there's ventilators going out. Like life support systems are being meted out by the president, according to states that have like the most allegiance to it. Right. Civilization is much more collapsed in other areas, in different areas, like different areas have different levels of collapse depending on where you live or where you were born. You will have a different experience with how far along the collapse process is yeah and most of what gets toted about as being like well these are the benefits of civilization i mean it's just like let them eat cake it's yeah. like well it's like this is what we have and it's like all right i got a credit card i can afford a little bit more but i mean like systemic issues are not going away right they're never going to fucking right. go away civilization is never going to have its fucking moment of like reconciliation with racism and patriarchy sexism and like all of the you isms. can't fix civilization <laughs> you can't fix broke. No, you can't fix it. You just can't fix it. You it you can only move to something else. But you do have to understand that there are all these different layers to civilization, all these means of sustenance and, and 
perseverance that it has imposed to maintain itself. Mm -hmm. So it's like these fantastical ideas about like socialists are like, oh, we're going to take it over and give out everybody. It's like, all right, this is your class president in third grade saying you're getting two pizzas for lunch in a second. You get cake and you get cake and you get cake and we all get cake. Yeah. Not on this planet. Mm hmm. What we can do is we can all forage. We can, can like, there is a way to you go. You can make cake out of acorns. <laughs> you can make cake-shaped objects. <laughs> but, I mean, also what we're saying, it's, and we're not saying that it's an easy process either, though. Oh, God. And most certainly, like, I think that this idea gets a lot of flack because people go, well, not everybody can live as a hunter-gatherer now. You're familiar with this argument. <laughs> well, not everybody can live as a first world post con- post industrial consumer society, as we are seeing. Right. The frailty of the civilization. I mean, even even if looking at the numbers right now, this pandemic like is more infectious and less fatal compared to other pandemics, which means that we're seeing a whole lot of gnarl coming out as far as what people are saying mm-hmm. and pro life people like die for the economy and there's 90,000 as of today i think 90,000 people have died in the united states there's which like is a lot of people it's a lot of people and that's a lot of suffering which is like a very like painful thing to 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 reckon with yeah but we're we're still like seeing this like very disproportionate view about how all these things work and mm-hmm. how all these things are and how do these things play out um but like as we're seeing with the stuff like there if the entire sense of value that you get from the civilization is based on your labor and based on, like, really, production. people are talking about labor and production. We're talking about our ideas, our identities are consumer-based. Mm-hmm. I mean, people aren't being, like, necessarily just, like, like I want to go back to work. What they're telling is, I want you to go back to work so I can get my hair cut, so I can mm-hmm. get my nails done, dude. I can get all this shit and go back to the identity that I have projected right? because of a consumer society. It's, like, we just, that's how value is given in here. Um, but, like, the... The numbers are, like, uh, the Mnuchin was saying, I think, like, 25%, probably around 25% unemployment. And then the gig economy was already 25% of the U.S. economy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's such a fragile basis. It's yes. such a fragile basis for anything. Uh, but, like, all the things we're identifying with, it's like you're saying, like, oh, well, we can't all live as a hunter-gatherer. It's like, well, we have a better fucking chance. Mm-hmm. You can't live in this way. It's better to actually be involved in subsistence and actually have this knowledge and skill and an actual connection with the world and community mm-hmm. than just, like, my reality is one paycheck away from being deflated. Right. And that's that's the reality we're actually in. We're, that's why we're captives. We're like sitting here being like, well, where's the handout going to come? Where's the, when are we going to get rescued from this? And as long as we continue to identify with that narrative, as long as we continue to be like, there's some safety net implicit in this that is going to, to help me or save me, a safety net that looks like endemic warfare for the last 19 years in Afghanistan. It looks like warlords in, all across the Southern Hemisphere. And it looks like being pushed off your land in Northern Norway to make room for windmills uh and solar power farms i mean like the perspective of civilization is a million things uh, mm-hmm. different things and the supremacy that's been granted by this narrative to this particular identity and this untenable reality is the frail part that's the fragile part that's the part that's falling apart and there's this tendency to want to find reasons to get mad at people like us or people were talking about like saying there's an RV in that cul-de-sac and the ground is eroding. Like, how are you going to save everything there? It's like, we didn't put it there. Right. Like, people want to just be like, get angry as though like, 
finding some flaw with you or I or finding some flaw about whatever kind of hypocrisy people might believe there is in being a primal or advocating for primal anarchy on a podcast recorded on a computer, it doesn't change the reality that these things are happening. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about like, you need to integrate. You need to like change the narrative. It's important to get involved with community. It's important to be involved with like these like anti-colonial, decolonial like resistance movements and getting involved with all these different things and ecological resistance. But like, it needs to come from this place of being, of being tied and being grounded and being rooted in, in land and wanting to actually have a life. Right. And like, we don't have the answers to everything. No one has all the answers to everything. Just because we're saying some things doesn't mean we have something to say on all the things. Yeah. All we want or all that we're really hoping for is to sort of like reach out a hand to other people who are feeling some of the same things. Say, hey, this is where what we've thought about. This is where we're coming from. And then go from there in an open narrative with people. Like, it's not, this isn't judgment-based. It's not like, well, I'm wilder than you are, so fuck you. Or it's not like, I'm a better anarchist than you are, so fuck you. Yeah. That has nothing to do with any of this. It's not a competition. It's like a very slow process of helping each other out of a paradigm that we have had forced upon us. Do you think that's going to be a pretty or easy process? No. Yeah. We're just here to talk about the messiness of it. That's all. Well, and to push the directions. But, True. like, but we're not here to, I mean, again, the thing is we're not here to judge. And, like, this whole thing is, like, what you need to no. be held accountable to. Right. It's, like, I don't know, maybe the person who decides, who figures out how to take down the grid is going to be somebody who loves collecting sh- expensive shoes. Something like that. Like, who cares? Like, yeah, have these, your, these have are, your are thing. This like, isn't a test. Yeah, we're not, like, sitting here trying <laughs> to test It's actual life. We're not, there's no grading here. There's no, like, sense of, like, saying you need to open up your life. It's not a cult. We don't need to sit it's here and definitely open up not a call, right? Judge everything that you're doing, and for we're not sure. looking for like people to come to some ideological thing of saying this is the person I want to be, and I'm going to be judged based on how I'm doing that. There's we're, no perfect way to do it. It's an imperfect process. Which brings us back to the individualism. It brings us back to the the libertarian kind of idealism and stuff like that. It's like, well, how do I live this thing? It's like, well, stop fucking worrying about how other people are going to judge you. Like, mm-hmm. you need to step outside those systems. We need to flip those narratives. Mm-hmm. We need to understand the systems that are here and what that means. Mm-hmm. Can you go live as a hunter-gatherer right now? <laughs> you probably could, but it probably means that you're going to be evading the law mm-hmm. forever. And, like, you're probably going to be doing it alone. But That's can you life. move towards subsistence in some way in your life? Yes, probably. Yes. Like, we're not talking about being, like, you need to jump to go. No, and you're not failing if you haven't jumped into full immersion hunter-gatherer living tomorrow yeah it's a process and you haven't won if you get the best like toolkit and the best like look right it's and it's not a competition (laughs) yeah and it's not about aesthetics and it's not about aesthetics it's a it's that core state of being that's inside all of us so it's about accessing that in ourselves and helping one another access that yeah and also just understanding this on this system global understanding this on this holistic level like this is what we're talking about Flip the narratives, find that meaning in your life, and fight back from there. Right. Absolutely. In summation. <laughs> yes. And I know that it was a lot. We've been going around and around on these conversations, but I think it's really important to define, even if we think we know what something means, mm-hmm. I think right now you cannot define things enough. Yes. I think where we are, and, and I think this happens in times of change, I think that we we need to go back to the building blocks and go from there. 
on almost everything. Cellular level and beyond. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's just, that's where we're coming from. Mm -hmm. That's what we're working for. Yeah, I mean, so... Again, we're open to conversation, and I mean, I'm sure we're going to get some angry letters about this and some shit talking on the internet. But this is where we, this is where we've come to. Yeah, we're not, we're not horribly concerned with those things. No, fuck those things. But we are, we would love to hear from anyone who actually wants to talk to us. Yes, and also spread that work. Right. So there we have it. There we have it. And um, thank you for listening to us. Yeah, and also, I mean, we're going to be working more and more on, like, finding other ways to get this out there. That is our goal. But this is why we're doing this. This is why we're doing it. What we're doing is saying, hey, we're we're speaking from our experiences. We're speaking from the things that we've learned in the place where we are. This is what we believe, and uh, let's all help each other get to a different place in the world. Yes. And that's why, if you're interested in these topics, you should support the work that we do. (laughs) There's no good way to segue this, right? <laughs> I think, yeah, just call it out. We'll just call it Here's out. Here's the segue. Here's the segue. This is the end of the episode, so this is where we're going to just say. It's just the support us if you can statement. Support us if you can. We could really use support. Black mm-hmm. Media Press is an expensive, large project which produces books and other materials right. to further this. We jumped off into doing this full-time right before this pandemic started, and so we are committed to doing that. And it is a bit of a tough time. So, um, yeah, we're thankful for any support we got. Yeah. So blackandgreenpress.org has all the books. All the sites are actually very well interlinked. Primalarchy.org has the old episodes of this podcast. There's kevintucker.org and natashatucker.org for both our individual works as writers and people. And then, um, what else am I forgetting? Uh, but there's also a number of support tabs on the primalarchy.org, all the, all the pages. Let's just say all the pages. Right. Have Check out our pages. Mm-hmm. There's uh, ways you can donate via PayPal. Uh, I have a Patreon. Natasha will have a Patreon. Mm-hmm. We do and, have a lot of exciting things coming up. And just keep an eye on the Kickstarters coming up because those are kind of like our big projects. There's a lot of shit that's going to be popping off here real quick. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's going to be a lot of more podcasts as well. Yeah, and I mean, we're also available for speaking. Like, we were going to spend a lot of time touring and sort of speaking in public this year. That looks like it's not going to happen due Bye-bye. to um, some unforeseen things happening in the world. But we are available for talks, and, um, you know, now we're getting more comfortable with using online venues for that kind of thing and are working on getting more comfortable with that. And so please reach out to us. I mean, we're not, like, sitting here behind a wall. We are well, interested in meeting other people <laughs> but reach out there's means yeah so uh there's that and again uh, i'm just going to say because i'm very excited about it uh the liminal audiobook will be out as a part of the kickstarter so it's com- the first time it's coming out is through the kickstarter so keep an eye on the kickstarter right i think so i think so too we're, f- we're flushing it out <laughs> but uh just in in Ending and finalizing this episode, here's the rest of the first chapter, which is September, uh, in the book, I believe it's September, um, as read by Ryan Morgan of the great band Misery Signals, which have a new album coming out. It's worth checking them out, but also very excited about this. And uh, yeah, check it out and yeah. appreciate Thanks to everybody. Yeah. Please drop us a line about uh, whatever you may want to, particularly the idea of primal anarchy and things we talked about today. We'd love to hear from you. All right. Thank you. Until next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
September. We celebrated Magda's first birthday today. It's impossible for me to believe that she's the same creature I felt stirring under my heart just a year ago. She blew out her candles. It was cold, and the smoke from the small, extinguished flame mixed with our breath at her small outdoor party. She wiped frosting in her hair, sugary pink and blue mixing with her own baby yellow, the color of straw, soft like feathers. The leaves are turning red and yellow. We scoop up great bunches of them and throw them into the air, watch them rain down, twirling. Magda is just beginning to walk. She holds both of my hands tight, arms up, like she's balanced on a tightrope. Sometimes she lets go. She is brave. She likes to ride on Ronan's shoulders, tiny hands wrapped in his hair. She laughs and points, notices the birds in the trees and the geese overhead, sings to the owls at dusk. Hoo, 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 hoo. Her first words are bird calls. It seems fitting somehow. Small winged things able to brush the sky. We take her walking by the creek near our house, under the big sycamores, with their camouflage bark, limbs stretched high into the blue, blue sky. We take off our shoes and socks and dip our feet in, making the most of these last sunny days while it's still a little bit warm. The water is cold and Magda squeals. She bends down and wants to drink it. And we have to tell her again and again it's yuck, poison. We'll surely make her sick. We stick out our tongues, and she laughs, thinking it's a game. She is obviously expecting to drink the water here in this beautiful world, on our spinning blue-green planet. I don't know what to tell her. I also cannot understand. How people could have broken something that was never theirs to break. Magda is 12 months old. Magda was born in the fall, on the autumnal equinox, on the day when dark is equal to light, during the in-between when the dazzle of summer is just giving way to decay. I dreamed of horses while pregnant and the great redwood forests along the Pacific coast. Stallions and mares, wild and free, running in herds through the open plains, clouds of dust filling the sky. Giant limbs of the sequoias casting shadows on soft, mossy ground, the huge trees towering high above me. That morning the sky rose pink over the blazing blooms of Jerusalem artichokes filling the yard, making a golden forest that you could not see around or walk through. We were safe there, hidden from view tucked away with the goldfinches and the warblers singing their sweet, clear songs. She was born like a prayer, with me on my knees at the foot of our small bed, clutching Ronan like a wild thing caged as our baby struggled to break free. Our cries came together, my last and her first, an ancient howling that shook the walls and spoke of shifting bones and watery worlds, my last labor wail a final gift of life, for her. Pink-lipped and rosy-cheeked, they laid her on my belly and wrapped us together in blankets, a warm reception for weary travelers. We rested, heads on Ronan's chest, and she ate, the first suck soft, like the tickle of small and colorful wings, fluttering. Dear Ronan, before I knew you, I already loved you. When I heard your name, I recognized it, like a memory written in my bones. <laughs> 